Good afternoon and welcome to Ask ACES. School nutrition has been featured in many news stories lately, but how do all the recent policy changes impact your local schools? And what can you do to improve the school food environment at your child's school? We just finished a great Twitter chat with Whitney Agee and Leah Fleury of University of Illinois Extension and Dr. Melissa Plue Prescott, Assistant Professor of School and Childhood Foods and Nutrition in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition about what today's school meals are really like. So to get things started, Leah, do you have any advice for parents who want to pack healthy lunches for their kids? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, as a dietitian, I hear about this a lot from parents who are interested in packing their kids' lunches. Um, so what I usually say is first get your children involved and ask them to help with the planning because they're much more likely to eat what you pack when, they, when they're invested in what's in their lunchbox. And take time to plan out what could be packed into the lunch. So some different food groups like protein, a grain, um, fruits and vegetables, a dairy product, and even an optional small sweet or snack item. And brainstorm a list of ideas with your child of what would be okay with them to put in the lunchbox. It's also important to make it look nice because kids, just like adults, eat with their eyes first. So try to include a variety of colors and textures in each meal. And also you'll want to think about food safety. So if you're prepping lunches the night before, be sure to keep them in the fridge overnight. And then keep your child's lunch safe at school by packing it in an insulated bag with an ice pack. Um, I also like the uh, kitchen hack of using a frozen water bottle which will thaw out a little bit um, as the day goes on and can then double as a refreshing drink at lunchtime. So check the lunch bag when it comes home every day after school and clean it with soapy water as needed. I think that's some great advice. My son is in fifth grade and he has taken an interest in packing his own lunch this year, but I have discovered that when he packs it, he eats it better. And it's also a great opportunity for us to talk about what making healthy choices so nutritionally speaking, how do school lunches compare to packed lunches brought from home? Whitney, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, school lunches and packed lunches from home are trying to, you know, feed kids the best that they can. School lunches have to follow um, specific nutrition guidelines that maximize the nutrition that are on every tray and that students can choose from. And while I am sure many parents, you know, put the best food that they can in school lunch to feed their kids, on average, studies have shown that um, school lunches overall will give more nutrition um, than a typical school lunch. So there was a study done in 2012 that compared over 2,000 lunches um, brought from home and served at school. So 40% of those you know, over 2,000 lunches that they observed were brought from home. And so they compared what was served at school and what was brought from home in the nutrition value and found that significantly less fruits, vegetables, and dairy were in the lunches brought from home. And the lunches brought from home were more likely to have snacks that were higher in sugar and higher in fat. And that schools were more often serving 100% fruit juice than the drinks that were in lunches brought from home. So overall, school lunches were able to provide, on average, more nutrition than lunches brought from home. So as a parent, I've noticed that school meals are quite a bit different than they used to be when I was a kid. 
and we won't get into how many years ago that was, but Melissa, could you tell us a little bit about how school meals have been changing in the past, say, 10 years or so? Sure. There's been quite a bit of change in school meal programs recently, and a lot of that's due to the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. So prior to the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, school meals were based upon um, really outdated dietary guidelines, and so this new law uh, brought things up to speed to where what we're currently recommending for Americans to eat. So some of the big changes are there are now a variety of, of fruits and vegetables that are required to be offered to students. There's calorie maximums, and there's um, more whole grain requirements. And so basically, the new nutrition standards are really trying to make sure that, that kids across the country have access to affordable, healthy meals. So in addition to those changes in, um, in, in the foods offered, uh, another important change is that schools are required to provide water, drinking water, to students. And so I think that in particular is a really great way to shape, um, to shape children's uh, habit development because we know that we want kids to have water be their beverage of choice. And so having that every day in schools is an important step in, in you know, creating that habit in our children. A couple other things that the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act did was it provided support for farm to school programs. It provided additional money to school districts that are in compliance with the, um, with the new guidelines, which is really important to schools since you know, budgets are always very tight. There is new professional development standards to help equip school nutrition professionals in making these changes. And there is also some opportunities to reduce the amount of paperwork in low-income communities to make it easier for more kids to participate in school meal programs. So Melissa, are students wasting more food with the new standards and what types of food do they throw out the most? That's a great question that I hear a lot. Actually, food waste is an unintended consequence of any meal service. So whether that's food at a restaurant or even food that you're cooking at home for your family, you know, one of the one thing that's just going to happen no matter what is food some food's going to be thrown in a trash and school pro school meal programs are no different. So this has been an issue that has been a concern for many years prior to the new nutrition standards. And there's actually been some studies that have compared how much food has been wasted before the new standards were put into place and afterwards, and multiple studies have found that there is no significant difference in the amount of food wasted. And actually, there's evidence to the contrary that um, entrees, vegetables, and fruit have actually been increased in consumption since the new guidelines have passed. And in terms of what foods are wasted most commonly, vegetables are wasted at a higher rate than other parts of the meal. And you know that's not surprising given that uh, children and adults tend to, um, to struggle in meeting their, their vegetable consumption requirements and school meal programs are no different. So what strategies are schools using to cut down on food waste in their programs? Overall, since Food waste is something that um, school nutrition programs don't want to see because, you know, as we always like to say, it's not nutrition until the students actually put it in their mouths and eat it. So even though we're serving a lot of great meals, schools want to try to get the students to eat as much of it as possible. So to start with, school staff want to have a great menu. So starting with great menu planning and getting student feedback from the foods that they're serving and seeing from 
the type of records that they keep, what students are selecting more of and what they're not liking. Uh, that helps them really hone in on serving foods that students really want to eat. So that's really the basis of trying to reduce food waste as much as possible from people who are planning the meal. The flip side though, other strategies that schools have found useful are in the cafeteria, you, people have started to use um, share tables. So share tables are actual tables or stations where students during the meal, any foods or drinks that they don't want, they could put it on the table or at the station where other students who still want more food to eat can come and get those foods and drinks from the table. So it's kind of like a, they call it share table because there's foods that you could share with other students. And it's like a free for all for anything that's unopened or packaged a lot of the times that students want to, want to put on the table other students can get. Other ways that they found to reduce waste is to gather those foods at the end of the day that are shared and donate them to other places like nonprofits. Other ways that people have tried to reduce waste are to move recess before lunch. So if you have recess after lunch, a lot of times you can see this if you're doing an observation in a school. Students are rushing through their lunch to try to get out to recess or not eating as much as they can. Um, so that even though they might have a certain amount of time to eat, the, the knowledge that they're going to go to recess is more powerful than <laughs> actually eating their lunch. So moving recess before lunch is a best practice to have the, you know, the playtime of going to recess not undermine eating lunch. So you can get all your play out. You might even work up more of an appetite and thirst for your food. So then you'll come in to lunch have time to eat, be more calm in terms of um, not wanting to speed through and get out to recess, and then maybe even have more of an appetite and thirst to eat more of the food that's served to you. I really like this idea of a shared table. Today's the first time I've heard of that. Could you tell us uh, how could you help as a parent to get a shared table started at your school? Is there anything that, that we can do to encourage this? Because it sounds like a great idea. Something that would actually help if parents or you know, other community members knew, the USDA does say that you can share a lot of foods in school. I think one of the biggest hurdles in starting a share table is where um, people are afraid to share food with other people because of food safety or maybe hazards they think they're gonna be spreading between students to students. So you know, overall, the USDA says this is a flexibility that they're like, yes, um, to do and to do it safely and talk to your county health department about what specific food safety guidelines you need to follow to institute a share table. So those are kind of the two hurdles that people should talk about is what people are actually comfortable sharing. Certain foods might be off the table because you just don't have the food safety um, you know, requirements set up to share milk even though the USDA says you can share milk. Um, so things like that. So maybe talking through some of the fears about sharing food um, if you want to start a share table and then talking to your local county health department about what food safety guidelines you need to have in place to do it safely, as safely as possible. And then other than that, it's really kind of logistical in the cafeteria. What space do you have? Where should it go? How are you going to um, educate students on what they can put on the table and what they shouldn't put on the table, but also encourage them to eat as much of their own food as possible, but to share what they really don't want. 
from our experience in extension, having this come, especially from a top down, having the administration on board to say this is something that they're going to support has been very helpful. So if you're a parent community member, maybe going to the principal or superintendent to make sure they would support it if it started in a school. And then to, to have fun. And the students a lot of times would like to get involved with making a poster or something or um, giving directions to other students about how to, how to use the share table. It seems like today there are more and more special dietary needs that children have. How do school meal programs address these different dietary needs, Leah? Well, special dietary needs can mean a few different things. Um, schools aren't required by the USDA to provide for dietary preferences like vegetarian meals or make religious accommodations for like kosher or halal foods. But that being said, many schools do provide a variety of options and they try to meet their students' preferences to encourage participation in the meal program. The students really are the customers. They wanna make them happy. Um, but then for dietary needs that are related to a medical problem or a disability like a food allergy, we have a lot of kids these days with celiac disease or diabetes, um, the school nutrition program has to make accommodations under federal law. And when that happens, the school works with the parent or guardian to get a medical statement from the doctor. And that statement has to explain the impairment and how it restricts the child's diet, what must be done to accommodate the disability, um, and they have to name the food or foods to be omitted and what they recommend as an alternative. So they work in tandem with other school staff like teachers, nurses, and administration to protect student safety and well-being related to their disability. So earlier we were talking about breakfast after the bell um, and many Illinois schools are now serving breakfast after the bell. Could you tell um, our listeners today a little bit more about what that means in case they haven't heard of it? Sure, yeah. Breakfast after the bell is super fun in my opinion and it's something that I wished I had you know, when I was eating all the school meals I was eating, um, my bus always got to school too late to have breakfast, so I just missed out. So what Breakfast After the Bell is trying to do is it's a legislation that was passed in 2016 um, trying to expand access to school breakfast to more students. So especially because of things outside of students' control, not being able to get access to breakfast, they were trying to see in areas where we had the most need for students who had maybe the most low income areas for families. And so for areas that have schools with high need. So by that, I mean schools that have at least 70% of their students who are low income. This is going to be another option to get those nutritious meals you know, to the students. So breakfast after the bell. So traditionally breakfast is served before school. So before the first bell and hopefully you can get to school, you know, at that time. So for different things like, you know, drop offs or bus logistics or I don't know, just tardiness, having an option where you can serve breakfast after the school day actually starts where more kids are more likely to be at school. It expands that access and helps with food security. There are different ways to do it. I think a pretty, Pretty popular methods in Illinois are breakfast in the classroom. So, and you know, 
first part of the school day, first 15, 20, 30 minutes, you can serve breakfast in each of the classrooms. This could be in the whole school or just by grade, so that you can have kind of that nice familial community in the classroom, but also have breakfast for uh, all the students. Um, another way is kind of a grab and go method where you have a station set up in a different part of the school where st students can go by and you know pick what they want from a cart or from a table um, and then you eat it in different parts of the school. There's another method called second chance breakfast which is maybe after the first or second period you can get this type of um, breakfast either usually from a cart or a different station in the school but it's later on in the school day when students might be hungrier than they are when they first get to school. So this works a lot of times in high schools that have that option. So just recently we've been seeing headlines talking about lunch shaming. Um, tell us more about that, Melissa, and any advice that you have for schools that are experiencing this. Sure. So lunch shaming happens when uh, students are singled out because they have negative balances on their lunch account. So Unfortunately, schools uh, in general are under a really tight budget, and when they have a lot of students who are either unable or just aren't paying for their meals, you know, that uh, makes, can make a big impact on their already tiny budgets. And so actually the state of Illinois earlier this week just passed a, uh, a bill prohibiting lunch shaming. And so as a result of that bill, you can't put bracelets on students who have negative balances or giving them an alternative lunch or any other way of publicizing the fact that they have negative balances. Interestingly, actually a part of the bill allows schools to get some of that money back by, um, have it, there's actually a clause that says students that have an excess of $500 owed to the school that um, that money will actually be taken out of their state income tax return. So um, the schools do have a way of, of getting some of that money back and at the same time, n the kids won't be stigmatized for their parents not paying their, um, not paying their bills. And you know, as far as what schools can do, you know, anything we can do to avoid stigmatizing students, um, you know, obviously that we would wanna um, limit that kind of stigma. So before you guys go, one of the things that I find interesting are the different paths that you have all taken to get to where you are today. And I think that this is a really interesting and fulfilling career opportunity for students or potential students who might be listening to this podcast or to parents to help give their, their students some ideas of different career paths. And so I see how much fun you guys have together and how, much you're, you're pa how passionate you are about what you do and your work really does make a difference. Could you guys go around and just tell us a little bit about how you got into the career that you're in today and any advice, you know, briefly that you may have for our listeners? Leah, you wanna start? Sure. I came to School Nutrition in a very roundabout way. Um, I started off as an extension educator in the community, uh, doing workshops on healthy eating and food safety controversial topics like artificial sweeteners, kind of myth busting. And I've also taught agricultural communications and I've also worked in oncology. So I've worked with cancer patients as well. But um, school nutrition was very interesting to me as a new mom. Uh, I have a daughter and she's two. And of course she will be going to school and this will be something I'll deal with firsthand. So 
it's something that's very relevant, especially with a lot of parents. You know, they have kids, so it affects them daily. And, you know, school meals can affect their child's behavior and academic performance, which is something that a lot of people care about. I think that's partly why I was so interested in it and excited to join the ABCs of School Nutrition team. And it was a nice fit for me as far as flexing my communication skills and developing new educational materials. And yeah, so it incorporates a lot of my different interests. So my first job out of college was a clinical dietitian in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Um, and I saw a lot of kids there. I was, on, I was on the pediatric unit, and I saw a lot of kids there who were struggling with their weight, um, a lot of kids with orthopedic diseases because of the problems their body was having with all of the pressure that their weight was putting on their bones. And so that really made me want to get in on the prevention side of things. And so um, my next job, my job title is actually community school-based childhood obesity prevention nutritionist. Needless to say, I was working in schools. This was before Michelle Obama, before, you know, the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act, doing, uh, you know, working closely with school nutrition programs to try and promote school meals and, you know, make sure that we did taste tests and things like that to make sure that students could get an opportunity to see how great school meals are. And, you know, once you start working with school nutrition, I feel like it is a, a bit infectious. Um, it's they're just school nutrition professionals work so hard, and um, they really do put their heart into soul and souls into what they do. And so I really like being around that. And I wanted to get more skills to be able to evaluate school meal programs and other kinds of school wellness activities. And so I went back to school to get my PhD, and then now that is one of the focus of my research is school nutrition programs. Well, I started out in community nutrition, and so it was pretty broad for what I wanted to apply that to, but I did my, my master's degree in community nutrition here at the U of I, and actually I guess it, it kind of, this interest kind of found me more so, because I just seemed to gravitate more towards like youth and adolescents and how they learn about nutrition and the best ways to teach them about nutrition and health. So my, you know, what I looked at for my thesis was middle school students and how do they learn about obesity and nutrition education through online methods. So I was in schools doing that research. And then after I graduated, I worked with Extension, um, similar to Leia as an Extension educator, and I was a SNAP ed educator. So SNAP education is the like nutrition education and obesity prevention part of the SNAP program. So SNAP formerly known as food stamps. Mm -hmm. So my community and the families I was working with were all low income families. From that side of things, I worked a lot in schools and with school nutrition because in my area, and I was in Springfield, you know, larger Springfield area, that was one of the biggest traction I had was working with schools and trying to figure out what parts of the community could we change to be a healthier environment for our low income community members schools were a big hub like schools are you know some people say schools are the heart of the community so i was in schools a lot trying to change the environment to be healthful so the people that pass through school every single day would have helpful helpful choices a healthy environment um, health promotion health education that sort of thing and so it was a natural fit you know a few years later when we got this grant from the state board of ed to start working on school nutrition because it was part of what I had already been working on in the community. So um, I did still need to learn a lot about school nutrition, 
but like Melissa was saying, it kind of overtakes you with the positivity of everyone working in school nutrition, trying to support all of our youth and being healthy for when they grow up. So it's something that you really, you learn something new every day and it's an important safety net for everyone going to school. So you, you don't feel like, like every single day you, f- you feel like you're doing something really important. So I've really enjoyed it. Well, thank you guys so much. This has been a ton of fun, and I greatly value what you're contributing to our community and to our world. Um, and again, this is Jennifer Scheich with Ask Aces. We can't wait to have you join us next time. Have a great day.